Welcome to the Truth Matters Podcast. I'm your host, Daryl Harrison. The Truth Matters Podcast is a production of Grace to You, the Bible teaching ministry of John MacArthur. And today, my guest is Cameron Brutel. Hey, Cam, welcome to the Truth Matters Podcast, man. How are you doing? Thanks for having me on. Thanks for being here. Uh, you serve here at Grace to You as a content developer. Why don't you explain mm-hmm. to our viewers and, and our audience what a content developer does? What is your, your job in, a, in layman's terms? What do you do? Yeah, basically, I work here as a researcher and a writer. Mm-hmm. That, 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 that sort of is the scope of what I'm doing. And, and primarily, the work is to do with the blog, the Grace mm-hmm. to You blog. Mm-hmm. And we are trying to use that as a platform for information to keep our, our, our readers and our listeners informed on what is going on and also to give them good teaching. So mm-hmm. we will be writing blog posts sometimes responding to events that are happening around them. Though we don't, John MacArthur's ministry has never been a reactionary ministry Mm -hmm. and we aren't either, but sometimes things come up that necessitate a response and we'll respond to that. Then there'll be other things um, where we will write um, blog posts around John MacArthur's commentaries Mm -hmm. um, and um, discuss things he's discussed in there. And then also um, just reformatting stuff from his books and his commentaries into blog posts. Right. Um, you know, it's an amazing thing because whatever issue there is, because John MacArthur has preached every verse of the New Testament mm-hmm. and, and quite a few in the old as well, mm-hmm. th- we know that on what, since the Bible is comprehensive on everything we need to know about the Christian life, Christian faith, about being in Christ, mm-hmm. um, we know that through those commentaries and we can always find evergreen material from John MacArthur on those subjects. Well, we're here to take to talk to you about some of that evergreen material from John, more specifically a series of blog posts that were published on the grace to you blog back in April of 19, April of 2019 under the heading, the quest for something more. Now, before we get into this series of blog posts from John, there were six blog posts that John published on the Grace to You blog under that heading. But can you give our audience some background on how this series of blog posts came up, came about? We're going to go through each of the six at a high level here in just a minute. But under the theme of the quest for something more, how did that come to be? I was just in Denmark recently. My wife's Danish and we were over there. And some of the guys there, they were asking me, you know, working at Grace to You, what's one of the biggest things you've learned from John MacArthur? Mm-hmm. Main things you've learned. I said, you know what? Don't be clever. Right. Don't be clever. There is such a desire to add to what we do, to pull a rabbit out of a hat mm-hmm. in the pulpit, to do something clever, something innovative. And if you look at Lloyd-Jones before him and John MacArthur mm-hmm. as well, there is there is the absence of cleverness. There is hard work. Mm-hmm. There is heavy lifting. There is laboring in the text, but there's not a desire to be clever or to do something because they are convinced that of the sufficiency of scripture, that everything is in there needed for life and practice. Mm -hmm. And um, they don't, I guess, want to um, add to that. They don't feel any need to supplement that with Mm -hmm. anything else. That is plenty in itself. I like in the second Timothy um, 316 talking about, you know, the scripture that talks about that, that the man of God, I think maybe verse 17 after that, the man of God might be thoroughly furnished mm-hmm. 
in the King yeah. James. I like that, you know, because I've moved into houses before when there's not much furniture right. there, and the and the furniture is that idea of of the house is equipped for every situation and every facet of life, mm-hmm. and and we want to be thoroughly furnished as Christians, and we are thoroughly furnished from the Word. It is sufficient. And the same goes for being in Christ. The sufficiency of Christ. There is this enormous desire continually going on throughout church history mm-hmm. into the present to supplement mm-hmm. Christ, to supplement um, what it means to be a Christian, to be in Christ. And this series is such a great response to that and just a great response to remind us of his sufficiency, but also how to respond to people struggling with that issue as well. Right. I like that. Don't be clever. Uh, we need t-shirts on that one, bro. That, that's really some great advice. But going into this blog series, the quest for something more, there were six blog posts by John that fall under that heading. Okay. So I think the first post was completing Christ. Then yes. there's Christ plus philosophy, Christ plus legalism, hmm. uh, Christ plus mysticism, uh, Christ plus asceticism. Hmm. And then the final blog post was Christ plus nothing. Yes. Okay. So I thought our audience would really uh, find it interesting if we just touched on each of those blog posts individually, but at a high level, won't go too deeply into these. Mm. But I want to go in that order in which the uh, blog posts from John were posted Mm. on the Grace to You blog. And the first one was Complete in Christ. And what I like about this one is that John opens this blog post up talking about a story about uh, from uh, Randolph. Um, I'm sorry, William Randolph Hearst. Yes, yes. <laughs> about how he there was a time where Hearst assigned one of his agents to just go on this voyage to sort of locate this uh, this. Uh, this, this, uh, these valuable pieces of art he that he an, wanted to add to his collection. He was an obsessive art collector. He was. Yeah. But then only to find out months later that the agent comes back to let him know, hey, you've already got these pieces of art yes. in your warehouse right now. Uh, so if I could just quote this one line uh, from John's blog post, Complete in Christ, John says this. He says, that story about William Randolph Hearst is analogous to the alarming number of Christians today who are on a desperate search for spiritual resources that they already possess. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah. Think about the image. The guy is is looking, he's building up this art collection. He's not even looking at the resources he has, clearly. And I I, I think there is this idea that there must be more, that that is not Mm -hmm. enough. And I I can remember um, early in my Christian walk, and I have a charismatic background, Mm -hmm. and going into the Christian uh, bookstore um, in my city. I lived in Brisbane in Australia. And I can remember a guy there, and at that time, it was a lot of this laughing revival, Toronto blessing thing going right. on, uh, and people were looking for this experience, this, and we'll probably talk about that a bit more mm-hmm. in the mysticism yeah. section, but just to say that this guy, you know, there were these conferences going on, this was going on all over the place. And I, I remember this guy in the in the store saying to the person at the at the counter, you know, well, I'm going to this conference mm-hmm. um, this weekend. And I need a blast from the throne room of God. And mm. if I don't get that, I'm going to be really ticked off. Right. You know, and, and, and that just struck me. I just thought, wow. And, and without, with very, not very well-developed theology at the time, I still could tell that that just sounds wrong. Like, you know, we don't talk about God that way and we don't demand things from him. And also the idea that he needed something more, that what he had wasn't enough. He needed some extra blast from the throne room of God. That was his exact words. Right. I, I spoke to him later about that and just I was concerned about the guy, but 
I've just encountered that so much. And while people might not say that, many people think it. Let me ask you if I could just, just diverge for a second here, Cam. You you just said that you came you were once in the charismatic movement. Yes. Can you share with us just briefly how John's teachings helped you come out of that? What role did John's teaching and ministry here at Grace do you play in that? Well, a a big role. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, um one of the things that was really helpful to me just hearing Pastor John teach on the doctrines of grace. Right. But amazing series, by the way, on yeah, doctrines of grace. Yeah, listen yeah. to that series. Wow. But in hearing him, I think, um, oddly enough, and people from my old charismatic friends, you know, did you stop? Did you stop believing in the miraculous? Mm. And I know, no, I just realized we didn't believe in the greatest miracle of all, which was the nature of conversion right. and regeneration. Yep. And when you are, when you have, when you are transformed by the Spirit, and you have a new heart with new desires, and, and in that there is a there is a satisfaction in feeding on the word, in feeding on God's word. And I, I think, yeah, the, the the fact that he was just dependent on that and he illustrated everything with scripture, he cross-referenced everything. And it was just compelling for me rather than the need to tell some story or basically it was the other way around. I think the the biggest thing for me was that I was used to a situation where people would use scripture or the word of God as a prop for what they had already planned to talk about. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And with John MacArthur's preaching, it was the other way around. That became very obvious to me that that the text was driving what he was saying. Right. He was a servant of the text. The text was not serving him. Right. As um, he was exegete, because I was used to sermons where people would exegete their own experience, right. and then they would try and find some verse right. to lend credibility to yeah. that. And this was complete, that, and that's reverse engineering, right? This right. was this was how it should be done. And I realized, wow, this is this is what I. Once I start to get a handle on this, I don't want to go back to that mm-hmm. anymore. Thanks yeah. for sharing that, Cam. So, the lesson from William Randolph Hearst mm. is to appropriate what you already have uh, spiritually, yes, uh, in Christ, as John says here in the first blog post title complete in Christ that you are complete mm-hmm. in him already. So let's go to the second post. The second post in the series, Christ plus philosophy, Christ plus philosophy. I love the lead here. Okay. It opens up. It seemed like a good idea at the time. That's a popular postmortem for a plan that has gone horribly wrong. <laughs> yes. Talk about this one, Cam, Christ plus philosophy. Yeah. Well, just the Ravi Zacharias oh, situation yeah. recently. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to go, I don't want to go wading into aspects of his, his personal life. Sure. If people want to read about that, they can. But but I do think for many years when many people were wowed by Ravi Zacharias, I wasn't really, I didn't have anything against the guy per se, but he relied a lot on his um, eloquence and and cleverness. Very much intelligence. so. Intelligence. Yeah. So I would watch what he would do and I would go, wow, that was impressive. I don't think I could do that. Mm-hmm. Whereas I would watch a presuppositional apologist, someone who was de- starting with the presupposition mm-hmm. the word of God is true, mm-hmm. that the problem of the sinner is that he loves sin and hates God. And I'd say, you know, I can, I can follow that. I can understand that. And so I think he dazzled us with intellectual brilliance. Yes. But really, as Ray Comfort said in a blog post recently, he never... Pr- 
you know, preached sin, righteousness, and judgment. He didn't call sinners to repentance. I don't remember him doing that. And the simplicity and the sufficiency of of Scripture in that, that uh, to be clever. And, and, you know, I think it's that that idea of philosophy and adding to that is based on a Pelagian idea that we can persuade, that we can argue, that we can reason unbelievers into the kingdom of God. But we know that the Scripture says outside of Christ, people are dead in sin. Yes, right. And so we need to be faithful to what we've been called to preach. Don't be clever. Can you give us a layman's definition of Pelagianism? Yeah, I should have explained that. But the Pelagian heresy basically is that um, the unbeliever can be, is not fully dead Mm -hmm. in sin, and that we are born morally neutral. Mm -hmm. You know, like the, the, the fundamental question about sin is, are we sinners because we sin, or do we sin because we are sinners? And the answer to that is the latter. Yes. That's an important right. distinction. The Pelagian would say the former. Mm-hmm. He would say, we are sinners because we have sinned. Right. And so we are born morally neutral. We are not sinners until we start sinning. And right. the, the sinner can be um, persuaded, reasoned with, mm-hmm. and needs to make a decision himself, whereas, whereas the... The reformed view, um, for one of uh, the doctrines of grace yes. view, is that you know God is sovereign in salvation and He has to regenerate the sinner. And you see in the Valley of Dry Bones in Ezekiel thirty-seven, yes, right. the preacher there: Can these bones live? He says, "Lord, you know." Mm-hmm. I can't persuade someone mm-hmm. into the kingdom of God. I can't incrementally move them. Same with William Lane Craig, again, mm-hmm. a sharp philosopher. But again, he's, his whole approach is as if he's not in a valley of dry bones. Right. He's in a valley of people who are smart, who just need the extra yeah. education to get it, them it, over it, the line. It's, it's the old um, picture, right, of, you know, you're you're drowning in the ocean, and then Jesus throws you a, a buoy, a life vest, a yeah. life raft. You're drowning. You got one hand above the water. Yeah, you're not dead. You're drowning. No, you have to swim to the right. Boy, yeah. I can't say it like you do. Yeah, you just say a boy so, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But a gospel tract that I remember one of the gospel tracts you might have seen ones like this before, where they show man this gulf. Yeah, and man is on one side, right. and God is on the other. And they show you lines across that are your efforts yes. to get to God, <clears throat> but they don't quite reach across. Right. And again, this is how I, I hate those tracks because they're just wrong. First of all, you're not even trying to get to God. Right. No man seeks after God, right. right? If you want to be seeker sensitive, be seeker to the only seeker. Yeah. Be sensitive to the only seeker, right. God, the one who seeks and yeah. saves the lost. But actually, people are running from God as fast as they can. People are fleeing him. And actually, we need Christ to go all the way across and reach to us. I love that. I love that. Um, You know, talking about John's uh, blog post, Christ plus philosophy, this one stood out. This line stood out to me. The the, the whole post is awesome, but this line stood out to me. Philosophy is useless, John says. Philosophy is useless because it's grounded in, quote, the tradition of men, unquote, and, quote, the elementary principles of the world, unquote, citing Colossians 2, 8, rather than than in Christ. I like that. Philosophy is useless because it's grounded in the tradition of men. Can you expound on that a well, little bit, Cam? Well, the preaching of the cross is what? Foolishness. Foolishness to men. So mm-hmm. we, are, we are standing in the valley of dry bones, and we are preaching a message that is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to them who are being saved is the message of, 
of life. Power and God. so we mm-hmm. are we are trusting God. Who is responsible for saving them? Who God puts flesh on the bones. Mm-hmm. My job, like Ezekiel, is to preach what he said. Mm-hmm. And that's hence the plus, you know, the, the Christ plus nothing. Mm-hmm. Because we preach Christ. Right. We preach Christ and crucified. crucified. Mm-hmm. And that is what we are called to preach. And and if we believe that, we do that. And the thing I think that I found compelling you know, I don't say that because I work for John MacArthur. I work for John MacArthur because I believe that. Right. Yeah. You know, and so um, Christ plus nothing, he believes that. His preaching, it's obvious that he believes that because he's not going right. anywhere else. Mm-hmm. He's not looking for some secret source, some silver bullet. He has everything there. Mm-hmm. Thanks for that, Cam. Let's move on to the next blog post from John's. Uh, series, The Search for Something More, uh, Christ Plus Legalism. Christ Plus Legalism. This one opens where John says, quote, many years ago, a college acquaintance said to me, I love this story. Many years ago, a college acquaintance said to me, I don't think you're a very spiritual person. So he criticizes John <laughs> because he didn't go to regular weekly prayer meeting. And, yeah. uh, and John goes on to say, you know, here this guy was condemning someone for not keeping man-made rules or religious rituals. So John defines that as legalism. So he got chewed out uh, by a college acquaintance for not attending the weekly prayer meeting. Can you can you talk about this definition that John gives of legalism, con- condemning someone for not keeping man-made rules or religious rituals? It's a shame that when we think of fundamentalists, we think of those things. Yeah. You know, that what they used to say in Australia, don't drink, don't smoke, don't chew, and you never go with girls who do. <laughs> <laughs> but, that, but, was, but, wait, was that your parents' advice No, that you? was actually um, back at the church I was in, but they're talking about their fundamentalist days Got and the you. attitudes yeah. they had. Um, but, yeah, that, that knowing your Christianity by your prohibitions, mm-hmm. what we don't do. Right. And, of course, the call to be a Christian is is a call of self-denial, to take up our cross, deny ourselves, Mm -hmm. to die to self. Mm -hmm. But those are things we do in gratitude to Christ. They they are not contributing factors. Out of love, yeah. And so I think, yeah, when when we talk about these prohibitions, you want to be careful, you know, also, because then you want to be judged by that standard yourself. Bingo. It's Matthew 7, 1. You know, so it's... I think our natural tendency is to legalism. Mm-hmm. You know, we might look at that. We might um, screw up our nose at, at, at people who have those kind of rules. But in our heart of hearts, we still think like that. We have a tendency to think like that with our salvation, with our sanctification, right. that it's something we do that I had a bad day, but, you know, God's probably not happy with me today yeah. or he's probably happy with me today. I'm doing a good job. Yeah. As if it hinges on those things. Of right. course, works matter. Right, but they are the the fruit right. of regeneration, not right. the not cause the of regeneration. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, still on John's uh, blog post, Christ plus legalism. Um, John writes further in that blog post: a gospel of human works is no gospel at all. He says, if baptism, prayers, fasting, wearing special garments, church attendance, various kinds of abstinences, or other religious duties are necessary to earn salvation then Christ's work is not truly submiss- sufficient that that makes a mockery of the gospel. Yeah, absolutely. And that's a point lost on on many of us, I think, is that if you want to offend God, now our sin offends God. Yes. He's angry at the wicked right. every day. 
our sin offends God. But if you really want to offend him as a professing Christian, as a church goer, then try and add to insult the work of Christ by trying to adorn it with something you've done. You know, like you're saying he hasn't done everything. And that's, I think that's the error Paul was addressing to the Galatians. Right. Who has bewitched you? Mm-hmm. And that is that is that Galatians could be written to Roman Catholics because again, adding works to grace, try, adding saying you got to do some things yourself as well, and that is really just an insult, an affront to God who right. has provided everything and desires to receive all the glory for saving a people. For himself. Well, it goes back to the first blog post that we talked about here. You know, it's complete in Christ, that you're complete in Christ. Jesus said it is finished. Now, it's either finished or it isn't. And here we are in our works. We're trying to finish off something that Christ already said was finished. Yeah. When we do that, we are falling into the sin of unbelief, not Mm -hmm. believing what Mm -hmm. Christ has already Mm -hmm. said. Mm-hmm. about what he's done. Mm-hmm. Yes. Great point, Cam. Okay, so moving on in this uh, blog series from John MacArthur, uh, Christ plus mysticism. Christ plus mysticism. Um, second paragraph of this blog post says, John writes this, when the Apostle Paul wrote his epistle to the church at Colossae, the believers were being intimidated by people who claimed to have a higher, broader, deeper, and fuller union with God than Christ alone could give. They were the mystics, he says. I guess another word for that would be Gnostics. Yes. Uh, can, you, can, you, uh, can you talk about that for a second, Kim? Yeah, you know, um, of, of course, the obvious experience I have, of course, in, with my charismatic right. background, is of people having this extra knowledge, mm-hmm. extra experiences, mm-hmm. um, and therefore... Um, prophetic words. Mm-hmm. I know something you don't. Right. Or God's telling me things he's not telling you. Mm-hmm. And it, it creates this apartheid mm-hmm. within the church. Great description. Of Great basically to it. those, the, the first tier and second mm-hmm. tier, the below deck mm-hmm. uh, Christians. But you know what? We're seeing this, Daryl. And uh, and Vody Balcom, we, we, who we're praying for at the moment, Absolutely, he's... Yes. he's uh, He's uh, in a very serious health mm-hmm. situation, but so thankful for Vody's ministry. And Vody coined the phrase of wokeism right. and critical race theory as ethnic Gnosticism, right. mm-hmm. as if there is this, you know, if you're white, you have to listen. Right. Because, you know, if the, the oppressed group has to speak. Right. And so they know something you don't. Now, of course, there's things that they might know that I don't know and and vice versa. But this, this idea that that there's this secret knowledge, there's this secret, there's this extra revelation I have that you don't have or that you don't understand because you haven't, you are not like me or you haven't experienced what I've experienced. Therefore, you have to listen or therefore you have nothing to say. Yeah, experience is dogma now. Experience is doctrine, right? It's the standpoint epistemology, right? Where experience is truth. But you, but you know what? Who has experienced what Christ went through? That is why the right. gospel is about someone else. That is why it is foolish to preach just from personal experience, because then you get dueling experiences. I love. What, I got to interrupt you here. I love what you just said. That the gospel is about someone else. I love that, man. Can you expound on that for a second, Cam? Well, yeah. I love the way you put that. Man. I even hate the phrase "live the gospel." Yeah. Well, how, well, how do you emulate Christ? We bring a message concerning things that someone else has done, things that have been done that we mm-hmm. could never do. Mm-hmm. And that is why we point to him. Right. Have we 
have we laid down our life and gone to the cross and suffered and died in the place mm-hmm. of other people? Mm-hmm. Maybe there's a handful of people in history who've who've done that, but has anyone endured the wrath of God in the place right. of sinners? Right. Satisfied that? Yeah. Fulfilled the law? Right. On our behalf? Right. So essentially, we are talking about someone who has fulfilled the law that we have broken and suffered the punishment that we deserve, right? I have no stock in the experience of that. Right. I report that. I bring that. We are the messengers. We speak of that. We speak of someone else. Mm -hmm. We glorify someone else. And the glory in it is that he saves sinners like us. Yeah. Yeah. And so the whole idea of living that or demonstrating that is, again, an affront to Christ's finished work. A couple more uh, comments that stood out to me in John MacArthur's blog post on Christ plus mysticism. John says, mysticism is the idea, and you've already touched on this, Cam. Mysticism is the idea that direct knowledge of God or ultimate reality is achieved through personal subjective intuition or experience apart from or even contrary to historical fact or objective divine revelation. John goes on to say mysticism has created a theological climate that is largely intolerant of precise doctrine and sound biblical exegesis. Can you expound on that at all? You can even talk from personal experience if you yeah, want. Well, but... mysticism can't survive scrutiny. Mm-hmm. So a big part of maintaining uh, that, I guess, they're like that the guy in the Wizard of Oz. What is he? He's behind. He's, he's behind the curtain. He's behind the so curtain. He's behind the curtain at the end of the yellow brick road. He's behind the curtain. As long as you never get Pulling to look behind the curtain, yeah. you're always going to be impressed. Right. But when exposed for what they are, uh, frauds, and that's what we see in First John. We see that we see these people, this this elitists, who actually also are living by different rules mm-hmm. because of their gnosticism. Right. Because also um, their, their dualism, another thing as well, but but that we get to live by different rules because we know stuff that yep. you do. So so we are the elites and, and you come to us. Yep. And that's why people in Eastern religions go to see these gurus because right. they have some answer to something that they don't have. They have some enlightenment right. that we don't have. Yeah. And again, that 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 pushes, that is an affront to the sufficiency of Christ, mm-hmm. the sufficiency of God's word. We have to add on mm-hmm. things, and I use that. They leverage that to um, elevate themselves and cr- put themselves in some position of authority. Right. And, of course, they don't like doctrine right. because doctrinic truth exposes mm-hmm. them. Let me ask you this as we move on to the next uh, blog post from John in that series, Christ plus Asceticism. Christ plus Asceticism. I'm going to ask you to answer this question in just a moment, but what I want to ask you, Cam— is does mysticism lead to asceticism or is it vice versa? <laughs> but but, it, but in, this, in this blog post, Christ plus asceticism, John says this. He says, uh, he, he talks about this story where he was um, uh, uh, preaching. He, he finished preaching a sermon. A young man approached him and, uh, and said, uh, look, if you really love God, you get rid of your cars and your fancy houses. And, and, and all that you have, give all you have to the poor, you serve God in poverty like Jesus did. And then John says, well, that was that man's view of spirituality, but that view of spirituality is not uncommon at all. He says it's called asceticism. So let's talk about, define asceticism for us, and then 
comment on whether you think mysticism is an outgrowth of uh, 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 as a, produ- a product, a byproduct, asceticism as a byproduct of mysticism, or does it happen in reverse? They could be connected, okay. but I, I don't think they are because, as we we're talking about in First John, the, mm-hmm. the mystics in First John, the Gnostics in First John, were actually using their elevated status and their secret knowledge to live depraved, debaucherous lives. Right. Mm-hmm. So they weren't ascetics at all. Mm-hmm. I think we think of Luther before yeah, his conversion. Especially. Um, he, the, I think a lot of the ascetics, they get one thing that we should all get, and that is that bef- when a person is converted, we have to agree with God about ourselves. Right. Um, that I remember talking to some Jehovah's Witnesses um, some time ago and saying to them, if God sent everyone to hell right now, would he be just? And they were like, no. That was a big problem to them. And we have to be in agreement with God about that, that our sins deserve his eternal wrath. Right. And if we're agreeing at that point, then we're at the starting point to see our need for Christ and the need for the gospel. The the ascetic, he sees that problem. He sees the problem of his guilt. Luther saw it acutely. He drove everyone else crazy. Right, he did. Because he was seeing sin everywhere. He had this heightened understanding of God's law, and it terrorized him. Right. The thing was, Luther wasn't the crazy one. Luther was the only one really who was sane in a way, because right. he really got it that, right. that yes, our guilt before God is egregious. And, and I think growing in sanctification, you see that more acutely. Mm-hmm. And the ascetic gets that. But what he fails in is he thinks, well, then if I punish myself, if I beat myself up, then I can win my way back into God's favor, right. doing the whole woe is me right. routine. Uh, and but it's 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 a tragic, tragic thing because again it's another form of works, right? Horse trying to accomplish right. something, earn his favor, and again an affront because we can't do anything yeah. to earn his favor. We can do nothing. We bring nothing. We need a savior who has done everything on our behalf. Yeah, I like to call it uh, salvation with an asterisk. That's not to say that denial is a bad thing. I said earlier, you know, that we are right. called to take up our cross and deny ourselves, right. die to self. But again, those things are, are things we do to adorn the gospel to um, – it's the fruit of what God has done in our lives. It's the evidence that he has changed us. It's not something that causes or brings about God's favor. It's the result of experiencing his favor and his regeneration and new life that is in Christ. Yeah, what you just said there reminds me of this uh, second uh, comment that John makes in his blog post, Christ Plus Asceticism, where he says an ascetic is someone who lives a life of rigorous self-denial as a means. And see, here's the point. Um, Yes, we should deny ourselves. But what John says here is the point. An ascetic is someone who lives a life of rigorous self-denial as a means to earn forgiveness from God. That's that's what's so so wrong about asceticism is that it's an avenue, the ascetic believes, is an avenue to obtain forgiveness from God despite what Christ has already accomplished on the cross to purchase that forgiveness for us. Yeah, you know, it's a distraction from what Christ has done. Right. What, what the horrors of what he went through at Calvary for us. Right. And again, back to Luther, Luther's asceticism, all that did probably was shorten his life. Yeah. Because he had 
a lot of health issues relating back to what he did. I mean, sleeping bareback on cold right. stone floors, mm-hmm. you know, um, the just different self-flagellation, dep- beating yeah. yourselves, mm-hmm. de- deprivation of many mm-hmm. things it made him sick. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't earn God's favor. It just probably reduced his effectiveness. He maybe would have run a longer race. Of course, you know, we know God is sovereign over that, but right. we still see that his asceticism um, affected his health for the rest of his life. He he was so hard on himself, mm-hmm. and and so yeah, this 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 rigorous self denial. It's um, it's I don't think it's necessarily connected to um, mysticism, mm-hmm. but it can be. Can be. It can be. Yeah. Uh, that leads us, Cam, to the final uh, blog post in this series. Uh, John uh, wrote, "Christ plus nothing. Christ plus nothing." I love the way these blog posts were sort of bookended when they were posted on the Grace to You blog. We start off with complete in Christ, and then we end with John talking about Christ plus nothing. And uh, in this blog post, um, John tells the story of uh, how he was uh, presenting the gospel to a group of actors and actresses in Hollywood years ago. And he said he spoke for about 45 minutes. And then after he was done, uh, a young man walked up to him and said, yeah, yeah I want to re- I want to receive Christ uh, as my savior. Well, John later finds out in dialoguing with the young man that the young man was a Muslim. Hmm. And then at the end of that, that dialogue between himself and, and John, he says, wow, isn't this great? Now I have two religions. I'm, I'm a Christian and a Muslim. Uh, so can we talk about this uh, blog post from John uh, Cam? Christ plus nothing. Well, I love the title. Yeah, indeed. You know that that, that and that was the subheading from the book Insufficiency, Our mm-hmm. Sufficiency in Christ, Christ which mm-hmm. is a one of the older books, but a book I'd recommend anyone yes. to get. And and we do like to highlight some of these older books, but th- this was a really important point he's making at the end here is that the gospel is Christ alone. Right. Mm-hmm. You think about the um, the solas of the Reformation. Right. That was the Rock of offense, I think, of the Reformation was not not faith, not grace, but right. that we said alone, apart yeah. from anything mm-hmm. else, because God is a jealous God; He will not share His glory right. with another. And and it to to add to that, or to think we can have multiple religions is is again an affront to everything that He has already done. He has completed it. Right. Jesus said, "It is finished." It's finished. Yeah on the cross and his work is done and we can depend solely on that. Yeah. On religions is interesting that, you know, the man had two religions. Well, he had one religion. He had one. (laughs) He really had one religion. There's there is only two religions and you have one or the other, the religion of, of human accomplishment or the religion of divine achievement. It's it's interesting that you mentioned sorry, religion of human achievement or divine accomplishment. I should have said you describe one of those religions as a religion of human achievement, and then later on in this blog post, Christ plus nothing, John alludes to the rich young ruler, where he says this. He says, "But like the rich young ruler, still talking about this young Muslim uh, man, but like the rich young ruler who rejected Christ for the sake of holding on to his riches, that young actor was unwilling to exchange his false religion for the only one who could save his soul." I love how John put this because he didn't say exchange his false religion for the only religion that could save his soul. He said he was unwilling to exchange his false religion for the only one, the only person Mm -hmm. who could save his soul. He walked away without Christ. Talk about that, Cam. 
I often think that's a, that scenario is an interesting one. If the rich young ruler had given an honest answer the first time around, yeah, because when he's at, Jesus goes through um, all the horizontal commands except for covetousness, mm-hmm. uh, which, which is um, you know lying, stealing, mm-hmm. adultery, mm-hmm. Um, and and honoring your parents, mm-hmm. and the rich young ruler, all of these I've kept from my youth. Mm-hmm. Pants on fire. Yeah. You know? <laughs> Indeed. Come on, man. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> but that but really, come on. Mm-hmm. You're gonna mm-hmm. say all of these I've kept from my youth. Right. That's a that's a man who has no grasp of his own condition or right. what he's doing. And Luther wouldn't have answered that way. He he's right? got a grasp of, of his own condition. It's just the wrong grasp. Yes, that's right. right. Yeah. And so he gets the harder question mm-hmm. after that. Okay, right. then sell all that you have yeah. and follow me. And he loved his stuff. Yeah. And he didn't want to. Um, again, he, his allegiance is not to Christ. And right. so he gets asked the ultimate question, mm-hmm. just, just put, put it all on the line now, mm-hmm. me or that. Mm-hmm. And a lot of us would struggle with that. Mm-hmm. When push comes to shove, that's a difficult question, but that's what it all boils down to. If we have to love him supremely. And I think that's why in the New Testament, we hear this thing, unless you hate your mother and father. Right, exactly. In comparison, mm-hmm. in other words, there is... There can be no second place. There can be no divided affections. Mm-hmm. That's what Jesus said. You know, he said, listen, do not think that I came to bring peace. Mm. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. And then he delineates all these human relationships specifically. That's what I mm. love about that passage. That he was very specific. I came to divide uh, a, a uh, mother and a daughter, a mother-in-law and a daughter-in-law, a father and a son. I came to divide that. Um, and he was very explicit in explaining that, you know, so, um, talk about for a second, right. As we prepare to wrap up this episode of the truth matters podcast, talk about for a second, Cam, why it would be important for our audience to go out to the grace to you blog at gty.org and read the series of blog posts by John MacArthur under the quest for something more. Uh, why should I spend my time reading these posts? Well, if you're struggling with that issue, and I think, you know, we all at different stages struggle with thoughts about what can I do yes. to get back in God's good books or right. uh, to please him or impress him. I think, I think it's, it's, it's a massive reminder that Christ is sufficient, the mm-hmm. sufficiency of Christ, but also I think that so many people struggle with this, and so many of us have a charismatic friends who are looking for that extra mystical experience, that yeah, extra, that extra trip, glitter, that extra buzz, that yeah. extra, that extra thing that's going to get me over the line mm-hmm. um, to supplement what I have. Right. To, they're looking for the supplements, and 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 this equips us to give answers to that and to challenge those people, and we all have them in our lives. We all know people like that who are struggling with those things. So I think on both fronts, the series is immensely helpful. Like I said, also, it's a great book um, to read, one that... um, You're talking about our sufficiency in Christ. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Older book, but one of those books that might get forgotten with a lot of the newer books that have come out since, but certainly one worth visiting or revisiting uh, because it gets to the heart of what is a perennial problem in the human condition that we want to find something more that's why roman catholicism exists mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. have to supplement mm-hmm. christ's finished work with a few of our own bells and whistles 
Cam, thanks for being with us on the Truth Matters podcast, man. It's really been a joy to have you here, brother. Cameron Butel, content developer here at Grace to You, has been our guest today on this episode of the Truth Matters podcast. Thank you for joining us, and we hope to see you next time on the next episode of Grace to You's Truth Matters podcast.